welcome to Designing the Robot Revolution, where we're asking the big question, how can we tell the future in the midst of massive transformation? Whether it's political, historic, or in this case, technological with the advancements in AI. We'll be looking back into history to see if there are any parallels with how things are today. In doing so, we will talk about three models that can help us predict the future of AI. And we'll get a feeling for where it's headed. Join your hosts, Jacob Magnell and David Griffith-Jones, as we dive into the world of S-curves, AI winters, and hype cycles. Let us embark on this journey together. It's been a blast for us, and we hope that you will enjoy it too. What can we learn from history? What's happened in the past to help us see where we are actually at the moment with the 2023 AI hype? Okay, so there are a few ways of looking at development cycles and what's happening with technology when you have these massive leaps. And we have examples of previous times where things have fizzled out and when things have actually just been integrated into society. Um, So I think let's talk about three different models of explaining the world we have looked at this and we have the s curve which is my personal favorite we have the sort of concept of winters of technology and then we have hype cycles which is a management consultancy way of explaining technology development through the use of hype can you explain about the s curves for me yeah so the s curves i find that to be a really useful way of looking at technological development. Basically, what we have is a curve of development. Let's look at this through the lens of the combustion engine. I think that's a good example. At the bottom of the S curve of combustion engines, we have steam engines and horses as the general mode of powered transportation. This would be in the late 1800s, I think, we're getting into combustion engine territory. And we have basically some crazy people just trying to build an engine that is firing carbo hydrogens and trying to make that power of burnable material through explosions transferring to energy that we can use. And that's basically the premise for the combustion engine in the early development. So what we see there is a period of pretty slow progress where people are undoubtedly having a lot of fun, but the usefulness of what they create isn't really there. Things explode, things doesn't go very fast, but then at some point someone comes up with some thing, in this case, the car, the automobile, it makes sense to to apply this technology to, and you get a real acceleration of that curve, which means that you started out very slowly, and then it accelerates. You have this hockey stick curve kind of thing. And we'll link to how that image can look like both on our social media, so you can see it, and in the notes of this episode. Then what happens is you have a period of steady growth, where you develop things, new things come up. You could liken this with in the 
automobile perspective, you, you have better and better cars, you make quite drastic improvements over a period of time. And then all of a sudden, you've come to a place in time where there is mass adaptation, everyone is using this, and you're not making that big a strides anymore. So for example, if you take diesel engine and you make it 10% better than it is now, it's not going to really transform society the way that the car did at one point. You've come to a place with the combustion engine where you can't get that much out of it anymore. Therefore, you also can't really use that as a driver of growth anymore. And that's you can see that pattern in almost any technological advancement or where you come to a plateau. But I think one interesting thing with the S-curve is that it's really hard to predict where on the S-curve you are. Because at the start of that S-curve, you are making progress. But if it tapers off really quickly, and we didn't get to mass adoption of cars, you still be on the S-curve. But it just wouldn't do that much. And and the same reasoning stands that in the 70s, where we were still on that progression part of the S-curve, where we were making a lot of progress, that could have gone on for another 100 years. You don't know, but it didn't. So now we're seeing a point of, or we have been seeing for decades now, a point of very diminishing returns in how efficient and how good we can make these combustion engines. So the S-curve is good maybe when you're looking backwards. You can see where you were and you can analyze looking in the back mirror what it was. But it's maybe not so useful to chart where you are exactly at the moment because you don't know where you are on the S-curve. Yeah, exactly. Because you can never know where you will end up. And I think that's endemic to any me any method of visualizing or, or explaining the world is that it's really hard to predict. But I think the S-curve is especially good at looking back to see what happened here with this technology. And it also gives us a way to try and understand what will happen if we take generative AI, for example. The, the, that comes on the back of another S-curve, which is the silicon computing S-curve. And that's been a ride. We've done some pretty impressive things on the back of the silicon computing S-curve. But we have also started to see in newspapers that, yeah, maybe this, what's it called? The, the law of Moore's law, yeah, where you always double the amount of transistors on any given area, space. And therefore, the cost is halved over, I think, 18 months you've started to see that's not really going to be the case anymore because we're getting down to scales that it's just not feasible to to shrink it anymore because we're already at nanoscales. Perhaps, and I'm, I don't know this, we, no one does, AI, generative AI, machine learning, all of that stuff is the S-curve that brings us into the next era after silicon computing, as the computing era that took over from the electrical era. So that's, I think, a great model for looking at where we are, what potential this sort of technology has. And for me, I'm a firm believer that is actually the case. I think, in my mind, 
we have a lot riding on getting this type of computing right so that we can keep developing solutions to all manner of problems that we've put ourselves in no in no small part due to the combustion engine and the silicon computing era we need more progress to sort the things out that came from that so you mentioned there was three ways that we described as three ways of measuring where we are in terms of the yeah. hype and s-curve is the first one i think one of the disadvantages i find with the s-curve is what we said it's great for looking backwards but it doesn't help so much looking forwards which is yeah. why i really like the gartner hype cycle because this tracks innovations across five different steps it identifies the first step as being the innovation trigger that's when some yeah. clever person in a lab somewhere comes up with this new technology it's the very start of the innovation and then it's in a development process and maybe the first newspapers pick up on it and you can start to hear about these things but they're seen as quite a way off in the first step the innovation right. trigger what then happens to the things that move successfully through the innovation trigger is that they come to the next stage the second stage which is the peak of inflated expectations that is when the reality hasn't happened yet. It's not like we're seeing these innovations in our homes or in our uh, workplaces, but we're hearing about them all the time in the media because they've, the, there's a lot of investment going into them and there's lots of proof of concepts and everyone's getting very excited about just how impactful this is going to be. So you move from the first step, the innovation trigger, and then if you're successful as you go, it goes into this peak of inflated expectations. But the third step, which every innovation goes through, according to the Gartner hype cycle, is after that peak of inflated expectations, you then go into this trough of disillusionment. And so this is classically what we're seeing with autonomous cars at the moment. We had all these high expectations. Mm. It was going to be wonderful. We were all going to be driving around in them soon. And now it's not looking like it's actually going to happen anytime soon or to the extent that we hope for. And we as consumers, the media we're a bit dissatisfied. It's not lived up to what we wanted it to be and it's a bit harder and it's an, it's like this is the third step. You have the innovation trigger, then we have massive expectations and then because of those expectations being too high, you enter this trough of disillusionment. But then the fourth of five steps after the trough of disillusionment is called the slope of enlightenment and that's what happens as you emerge out of the disillusionment and you start ironing out some of those problems and then the true valuable use cases are really starting to emerge and you get rid of all of the 99 of the 100 new products that come out every day and it's that one that actually is really delivering value and it becomes starts to become truly useful. And so the innovation then starts to deliver value, starts to grow, in your S-curve example, that's where the adoption increases. And if it's successful, it successfully goes through this slope of enlightenment, becomes useful in our lives, and then it becomes normal. And then it just becomes what the fifth step is, a plateau of productivity, where it's just not excited about it anymore. It's just what we use. So I really like these five steps from Gartner Hype Cycle because you can look at any innovation mm. and you can ask yourself, where are we on this? Are we at the innovation trigger? 
Is it peak of inflated expectations? Are we in a trough of disillusionment? Are we entering a slope of enlightenment? Or are we at the plateau of productivity? And then you can, with a quite high level of confidence, predict what's going to happen next. So if you are at peak of inflated expectations, you're going to next go through the trough of disillusionment. But it enables you to look forward and see where you are. I think that it's interesting because what that model has is quite a high resolution, as you say. You can pinpoint where you are. It's that reasonable to, to look at it and say that this is probably where we are. What it doesn't really say, as well as the S-curve, is that there are different heights on the curve, so to speak. The S-curve really can show you that there might be a massive transformation or it might be quite small. Yeah. No, I'll give yeah. you that because the hype cycle, every innovation tracks through the same five stages and it exactly. doesn't show you in the same way as the S-curve does the extremity of the adoption, for example. Yeah, how transformative is the potential of yep. this this technology? And I think that is why we are hyping AI and generative AI so much is that we all have this intuitive sense that maybe the extreme height of the S-curve might be very interesting for us. It might be transformative as all hell, which is why we're so excited. That's Neat. fair, Jacob. I think there's a third model, and we mentioned it at the beginning, specifically relating to AI that actually helps us see where we are even more. And that is the idea of AI winters. And this right. is, we have been here before when you say that we are potentially so excited about how transformative this mm -hmm. would be. This has happened before. The first AI winter began in the 1970s after several years of rapid progress in the field. The 1960s right. had seen AI researchers developing powerful new techniques like rule-based systems and machine learning algorithms, right. and the hopes were so high. However, also a lot of the philosophy behind AI came at that point, yeah. right? We, they worked out how to think about a machine and that is stuff that really affects how we think about that today. oh so it's so. still relevant and absolutely it's the foundation of where we are today but if you were to go back in time and sit yourself in the 60s you would be just as excited as we are now that this is going to be transformative there was lots of funding going yep. into ai research the p people really thought this was the big change but it didn't happen and mm. funding sh declined sharply through the 1970s and the reasons for this are complex. It was really costly doing AI research. There was limited computing power available. But also there were these unrealistic expectations about what AI could do. And then we saw mm. this first AI winter through the late 1970s, early 1980s. We emerged out of that first winter and there was again more confidence and investment going into AI systems there was a big hope that AI could be this expert system that could automate lots of tasks. But again, these systems fell short on expectations. And the emergence of new technologies such as personal computers and the internet drew attention and funding away from AI research. So we entered our second AI winter in the 1980s. It's fun how all of those winters are giving something every time that is building up to where we yeah. are now with okay so now we have personal computing which wasn't readily available in the 70s for sure 
not only do we have that, but the computers are so massively powerful compared to that. It's just an interesting thing how other S curves, as it was, have been working in parallel. It's wrong to see, isn't it, that an AI winter is going back to zero. The right. progress made is built upon in the next AI spring. But it leaves the question, are we entering a next winter? Is this now, are we going to look back and see that actually what's coming for us next is a new AI winter? Right. I doubt that. I really doubt that because we have so many brains with access to these models and tools now. It's impossible to stop the development of this now because we have, uh, as we talked about earlier, Stable Diffusion is one model that is actually local. People have downloaded that through their computers and now they're tinkering and working on it, building applications and yeah, tinkering. And then we have all these companies and all this money. I think this is, if we go into a new AI winter, it's because we decide that generative AI is not really AI and we have to come up with something new. But I think generative AI is out of the box. Every application is going to have some level of generative AI or machine learning built in with it. Yeah, it's been democratized now, hasn't it? It's not AI sat in very expensive labs. It's now accessible by far more people. So this will give it a far stronger chance of not disappearing into a very deep winter. There are things that could bring it into more of a winter in the sense of funding being cut. So if we see that all of the investment that's going into these new products, features, doesn't lead to value, then mm. the pockets that are funding these are not infinite. They will cut back on investing and that could lead to less progress. And then we've also got things that could completely derail our current iteration, things like ethics and bias and legislation. That's never stopped anyone before. <laughs> That's the only thing that I don't think actually will stop anything is the ethical. I'm joking a little bit, but actually, I think... Yeah, when did ethics ever stop if there is, yeah, If there is money to be made, there is a way to make people okay and moving the goalpost of what is ethical or not. You can see that with CCTV yeah. is, I think, a good example, where there are some benefits and some just plain old fear-mongering that has made CCTV very prevalent in some places in the world. I don't know if you know of any, David, I've heard that there are examples from where you yeah, came. Yeah, it's got the most CCTV <laughs> cameras in the world, the UK, and yeah, that was ethical concerns. Didn't really hold back from that when they were proving their value. And I think that's going to be the case when it comes to the ethics. I think the ethics are important to talk about. I think we need to and we've talked about that earlier, that we need to make conscious decisions about the ethics. But I think in terms of stopping progress, I have a hard time seeing that will that it will be a stopper, but we can do better than that. We can we can make it good, I'm sure of it, but I don't think it will stop change in progress, be it good or bad. If it's proving to be effective and some early research right. into the impact of generative AI on knowledge work from MIT 
is showing that it is having a completely unprecedented in modern history impact on productivity. So there have been separate studies of both writers and programmers, and it finds that there's a 35 to 50% increase in productivity with AI, as well as higher performance and satisfaction. So the early indicators are that generative AI on knowledge work is having a very significant impact on productivity, performance, and satisfaction. Yeah, before we have proper development of applications, we have a situation where the raw prototype is increasing some knowledge workers' output with 35 to 50%, something like that was what yeah. you said. That's mind-blowing. It's insane. I, is there any example of any productivity boost from a technology like no, that? No, to put it in context, the productivity gains of adding steam power in the mid-1800s was about 25% for a small factory. So it really is very impactful. Now, it's interesting, though, isn't it, Jacob, that they reference writers and programmers. Yeah. And if you look at the top tools that we have that are really proving their impact, I'd suggest it is, yes, I'm going to mention it again, ChatGPT, which is fantastic for writers or people who need the need right. what writers do. Or programmers. And then programmers, it, it's this co-pilot by GitHub which just sounds, except for those who don't know, it essentially means you, as a programmer, you can be writing, programming as you do, and you have Copilot on from GitHub, and it just prompts, sees what you're doing and prompts with suggestions of what type of code you might want to pull in next. And so it enables a far more junior programmer to be able to create things and add in these extra bits of code from Copilot by GitHub. So it, it makes the programmers much quicker and it enables less mm. experienced programmers to be producing better. All right, David. So I'm curious to know, where do you think we are? And you can choose freely or combine these different methods of explaining the world as it is right now with AI. Where do you think we are? Sometimes I think that we are on the verge of something truly transformative that we're going to look back using the S-curve and realize that what happened in this last year or so has been a complete game changer comparative to when mobile took over, that it will change how we interact with digital interfaces, that it will change how we work. So sometimes I feel like that, but most of the time I feel like actually we are just in yet another peak of inflated expectations and it's only going to disappoint and actually it's going to be a long old way to any sort of significant change and that we will enter a new winter but like all the other ones this will have built upon and one of the main things that will have happened is that it's democratized and spread ai out to far more people and so when we come to the next spring in 10 years or so we'll be better placed so i flip between the two sometimes i really wonder wow this is transformative. It's happening. This is huge. But I think ultimately, based on the history of AI winters, based on the Gartner hype cycle, I think it's inflated expectations and we're due some disappointment. How about you? I am absolutely revving my AI engineer. It's, we are, in my mind, that 
inflection point in the S curve where it's just bound to take off. And I think this one is a massive one. I think, in all honesty, that the solution to all of humanity's problems lie within reach right now. Disease, climate change, you name it, poverty, increases in 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 growth. We will see massive transformations in every industry based on this and related technologies. And it will take over that development curve from the silicon computing S-curve that we spoke about earlier. And we will actually get somewhere. And I'm really excited. I also think that there is something to these AI winters, but I think they will be short. I think that people will get tired and some of the investment capital will probably dry up at points. But I think we have some momentum in the in the field of AI. And I'm using that term very broadly here, not only chatbots and image generators. That will we will make some progress. I'm very confident. So I hope you're right, Jacob. But what makes me think that you're wrong is the trilogy of technology people and process so i think you Mm. might well be right in terms of technology but when you look at how this would need to be adopted to have the impact that you're suggesting which i hope happens too i think what will cause delays to it happening is people not being confident to use it people worrying about it people being resistant to change first and then second processes need to change so for this new technology to come in and have the impact all the ways of working, the way things are done today, that all needs to change. And it's those two things that I think really take the time and will mean that it will be a lot slower journey to where we want to get. What do you think about that? This is where we bring in the design community, is my thought to that. And you're laughing now because you know that was what I was going to say. You, I think you tend to agree with me, but I think we have to we have to step up and make a conscious decision to work on this. And we, as people, but also as companies, need to bring in experts in business, in design, in technology, and make some good stuff based on this. So I think we we have all the components needed to tackle that triangle of people process and technology but we need to do that in a way that makes sense and maybe right now there's too much focus on the technology and be able to spin up lovely new concept products but they will only be impactful if we can get the people part and the process part to really make something valuable and i agree jacob that's where designers come in i think that's it i think that's a wrap done Did you enjoy this week's episode of Designing the Robot Revolution? If so, tell a friend, it really helps. Like, is there time to address how stupid the metaverse is?